Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Greetings, everyone. Good to see you. I, uh, I've got the, the privilege of preaching today from that passage which Stu just read from Luke 4. And as he mentioned, we're in this, um, this, this vision which Sue gave us last uh, week for this year is know and be known. And as we move through the Gospels, you know, one of the main things as the preaching team that we're wanting to do is to know more and more the person of uh, Christ as revealed to us in the Scripture. So it's my hope today that as we look at this story that what we will take away from it is a greater understanding of the person of Jesus. Because we're, we are going to be talking about evil spirits today. And I just want to say off the bat that I really uh, want us not to focus um, too much on the evil spiritual realm, but actually for our focus to be on Jesus. Because when our focus is on Jesus, then, then we're able to look truthfully at the realities of, of the spiritual world and, uh, and to not live in fear. So there is a show, which is a documentary, which is um, on Netflix. It's just come out called The Tinder Swindler. Um, and I don't know if anybody has um, seen it, but it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting story about a real guy from Israel who used Tinder as a way to meet up with a couple of... So Tinder is a dating website. I'm um, sure some of you probably... Some, has anyone, did anyone meet over, over Tinder? No. Do we, have any, do we have any swindlers in the... Uh, no. Um, what this guy would do is he would meet women uh, over Tinder and he would sort of lull them into this false sense of security. He would pretend that he was a billionaire's son, the heir of a, of a, of a diamond fortune, and, uh, and would have these most elaborate, like unbelievably elaborate ruses to, to set up this, this identity of himself as, this, uh, as, of this, as a billionaire. What he would do... I mean, it's called the Tinder Swindler, so you can kind of guess he's not a great, great dude. But um, he, uh, he would message these girls and say, I'm in a situation where I can't use my credit cards because if I do, the people who are after me will come and find me. So I can't use any of my cards right now. Would you be able to get me some money just for the weekend and then I'll, I'll be able to pay you back when I've got some new cards? And so these women who are not by any means wealthy women were taking, you know, there's one in particular who um, ended up borrowing from a number of different banks $250,000 to give to this guy. And he's sent, you know, pictures saying, don't worry, I've just transferred you um, $500,000. So he's actually, he's, you know, he's paying her back double, which is nice of him. Um, And it should come through in the next couple of days. And of course, she keeps checking her bank account and, and nothing comes through. And it's really horrible to watch it unfold because you realize that, you know, certainly one of these women in particular, I'm going to read a quote from her. Her name is Cecile, or Cecily. She loved this guy. or She thought she loved this guy. She thought she had an image of who he was, and she'd fallen in love with that image. And this man, knowing, deliberately taking this woman into, um, into, into his arms and into his confidence, knows that she loves him and yet deliberately uh, exploits her. There's a quote where she says, The man I loved was never real. He faked everything. Everything is a lie. But then you still have this fairy tale that's going on on your phone. I still wanted him to be true, you know. 
I don't understand how someone can be so evil. And this word evil stood out to me because if you watch documentaries like The Tinder Swindler or um, podcasts which talk about true crime, this word evil is a word that still comes up. People, you know, when, they're met, when they meet with characters as, as dark as this guy, this word evil still exists in our Western vocabulary because sometimes there's no better word for some of the things that we encounter than this word evil, which is amazing because you would think that where we are as a secular society that we would have moved beyond the concept of evil completely because evil, when you think about it, really is, is, a, is a theological or a metaphysical concept. It's not a scientific concept, evil, and yet we can't escape it. I think it's something that we would like to ignore if we could, but we simply can't. And, and this passage um, from Luke 4 addresses the problem of evil. And so very quickly, I want to, um, I want to highlight three things that this passage, I believe, is, is speaking to us today. And that's the reality of evil, the ubiquity of evil, which is just a fancy way of saying the everywhereness of evil, and also the opposite of evil. So we're going to look at the reality of evil, ubiquity of evil, and the opposite of evil. And as I say, evil is something which we as a society are increasingly uncomfortable with. I've been noticing how evil, the concept of evil, is disappearing a lot from the mainstream stories that we, we tell. And I think one of the clearest ways that we can see this is in the movies which Disney is producing at the moment. Because when I was growing up, Disney used to have really evil villains. Like, does anyone remember these guys? Ursula and Jafar and Hades, truly terrifying. Like these, this is the kind of thing that would, that would really disturb you as a child because it presented with us the reality of evil, of a, of a, of a narrative of good versus evil in which, in which we find ourselves and in which evil needs to be overcome by the powers of good. Whereas now uh, Disney gives us movies like Ralph Breaks the Internet where Ralph has to overcome not a villain, but his own insecurities. Or Frozen 2, where it's not a villain that needs to be destroyed, but a dam. Or Encanto, which has just come out, where in order for the family to be protected, they don't need to fight a villain, but instead they need to find a magic golden butterfly. This denotes a shift in the, in the kinds of stories that we as a society are, are telling ourselves. And... Um, what it signifies is that we don't believe in this, in this idea of evil as being a force which is out there, but we look at, at, at you know, our problems that need to be overcome are just individual pro- problems, problems within people's you know, mental and physiological makeup that just simply need to be improved. You know, even in that quote that I read before from the Tinder swindler, we can identify evil characters, but those evil characters are, are only people that we go, oh, there must be something just that was just always wrong with that particular person. Instead of acknowledging the fact that there's actually a, a real force of evil, it's not just a, a term in which we can categorize things, but it's an actual spiritual force which exists in our world purely to come against us and to come against the work of God. And we really, as a, as a society, struggle with that kind of understanding of evil. But a lot of other cultures, even today around the world, have a deep understanding and belief in the demonic. But for us, you know, we look at a character like, like the man in, in this story that Stu read out earlier who, who stands up and starts calling out. And, you know, if we see people who exhibit those sorts of behaviours in our society today, then, you know, our default is instead of to go, there might be a spiritual 
power at work here is to reduce it to some kind of mental illness. But what we get in this story is not mental illness. That doesn't adequately describe what's going on with this gentleman who stands up in the synagogue in the story. I mean, for starters, when Jesus talks to him, it says that Jesus speaks to him and says, be quiet. But he's not speaking to the man. He's speaking to the spirit in the man. And that's an important distinction that Jesus saw. He's not condemning the man. He's condemning the spiritual power within the man. It says, be quiet, Jesus said sternly. He's not talking to the man. He's talking to something which exists in the man. And then he says, come out of him. So he's obviously not talking to the man himself. He's talking to the evil spirit within him. One of the commentaries um, that I read on this passage said that the presence of supernatural powers cannot be rationalized away as much as we might try. And just as theologians recognize that the Holy Spirit works through people's lives for their good, and most of us would acknowledge that fact, so too we may recognize a similar activity by evil spirits. We're pretty easy to get up here and talk about the Holy Spirit's desire to work in our, in our hearts for good. But it's a lot less comfortable to get up and talk about the fact that there's evil spiritual powers that want to do the opposite things within us. But that's the story which is presented to us here in the scriptures. We can see that, that what's going on for this guy isn't just some kind of mental defect. It's the spirit has in the story has supernatural knowledge because he says, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Now, Jesus has just come into the synagogue and it's not the man that knows who Jesus is, knows what his mission is and, uh, and knows what he's about. It's actually the spirit within him who actually has some kind of supernatural knowledge which is speaking through the person. But we want to just reduce evil to a mental predisposition. And the reason that we want to do that, I think, is that, that we just go, well, evil is just another person out there. It's just the Tinder swindler. It's just these really bad characters that we read about in the news. That, you know, that they're, they're the people who can put up there and say, well, that's, that's an evil kind of person. You know, we, we can about go that far as a society. But when we acknowledge, actually, evil is not a, a person, a human being. Evil is a spiritual force that exists in the world. And then we have to recognize the fact no one is safe. Both you and I are susceptible to coming under the influence of evil. Which brings me to the second point, which is the ubiquity of evil. You see, in the Old Testament, we don't have a huge example of, of demons and of evil spirits in the Old Testament. But what we do see when they're talked about is that they're likened to foreign gods and to goats that roam in the wilderness. And, and uh, evil spirits are, are associated with the, the kingdoms, the surrounding nations, uh, and not with the people of Israel. That's sort of the understanding that in the Old Testament context that they had around, uh, around spiritual evil. It was associated with idolatry and with the, um, with the gods of other nations. And if someone was understood to be demon-possessed, then that person would have been in Jewish society, they would have been expelled from the community if they were seen to be a, de a demon-possessed person. We can see other examples in the New Testament of, of people who are demon-possessed and they, and they have to live outside of the townships. But what's so profound about this story at the beginning of Luke, which is unlike any kind of story that we've seen before the ministry of Jesus, is that this evil spirit is speaking to Jesus in the synagogue. 
Jesus is getting up on the Sabbath and speaking in the place of worship, in the church of its day. And it's in that place that the evil spirit gets up and begins to talk. And this is such an affront to the Jewish understanding of what was holy and what was not. You see, you may look at yourself as being moral or a religious individual, but that can just be a mask to your own susceptibility to the presence of evil within you. You may look at yourself as moral or a religious individual, but that is only masking your own susceptibility to the presence of evil within you. Uh, in October of 2020, some of you might remember that John Adia gave a message called Deliverance 101. And if you haven't heard it, then you can go back and find it on the Granary podcast. And I encourage you to listen to it because he goes really into detail about you know, the theological understanding of demons that we see in the Bible. And I'm not, not going to go too deep into that, but I want to draw from something that John said in that message, which is that in these um, biblical stories where it talks about um, someone being demon-possessed, that that idea of being possessed completely, um, you know, if you think of something being completely possessed, it's got complete control of something. And that idea of possession is really an idea which, which comes out of the language that was used in the King James Bible and that all subsequent translations are, are influenced by that concept. But if you actually go back to the original Greek, that the word there which is being used when it talks about characters like this guy in Luke 4 is actually less a possession and rather an influence. And actually the, what the Bible is speaking to us is about a person who is under the influence of spiritual evil. And, and what John draws out is the fact is that we see in the Bible that there is, that people can be, that, that this idea of influence is a spectrum. And people, any of us can sit along this spectrum of being under the influence of evil. So often, you know, if we think about demon possessed, then we've got like a really kind of crazy idea. And, you know, we imagine like a, 70s horror film or something but if we actually get to the get back to the original greek concept of a spiritual influence then we're more likely to acknowledge the fact that both you and i can be susceptible and we can see in scripture that evil manifests in different forms and i won't go into examples of this but this you know this guy getting up and standing up and, and the spirit taking over his mouth and talking you know that is an example that we see multiple times through scripture, but that's not the way that evil is always going to manifest itself. So don't hear me wrong. You know, when I'm saying that, you, asking the question to, which, to, to what degree is it, does evil have an influence over you, I'm not suggesting that you're going to start standing up and manifesting uh, a demon or anything like that, um, although you may, but that's not necessarily what I'm saying. So the question I do want to ask is, does evil have any influence over any part of you? Are you at all affected by a spirit of impurity? And as I said before, looking to your religious achievements, because you might be sitting here and listening off and going, well, no, because I'm at church every Sunday or, or you know, whatever, I read my Bible. Looking to your religious achievements for reassurance can be a distraction. And these people in the synagogue were clearly distracted to the fact that there was a man sitting amongst them who had a clear influence by spiritual evil over him. But Jesus comes in and his words and they always will shine a light on hidden evil. It says in verse 32, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, and he cried out at the top of his voice. It's no coincidence that Jesus is speaking with power and authority, and then the demon 
cries out. You know, if we allow ourselves to be exposed to the words of Jesus, then he will. The Holy Spirit will, through the word of God, shine a light on our own impurity and any evil which is within us. But it's not simply enough for evil to be recognized. It has to be dealt with. And this is the conundrum that Jews in the first century lived with and and surrounding societies lived with. Because most religious societies, probably every religious society, will have some concept of spiritual evil. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was learning about ancient Assyria, so in a similar history to um, Israel, neighbors with ancient Israel. And it was, it was common in that part of the world for women to wear a pendant of their god, Pazuzu, to protect their babies from demons. And even now, like even today, in, the, in Eastern Mediterranean um, countries, it's common to see people wearing amulets to ward off what's called the evil eye. So this idea of, of spiritual evil is not something which is, is, we don't have a monopoly on it as Christians. People have experienced spiritual evil um, in, in every part of the world. You know, my grandparents were missionaries who, who went into a remote part of Papua New Guinea and brought the gospel into the highlands there. And these people had never heard the gospel. They'd never heard about Jesus. But they did have an understanding of spiritual evil. They had a very real fear of it, and they also had different traditions and beliefs about ways to try and ward off evil and to protect themselves against it. But any of these methods which we see in, in religious societies are not a done deal. You know, People try as they may to protect themselves against the powers of darkness, but they're not a done deal until the person of Jesus comes along. And the demon cries out, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? It's a common understanding um, in demonology that when you state the name of a person that you can overpower it. And I'm, I'm not going to go um, into detail in that, uh, about that fact. But that's an idea that when you state the name, you can overpower it. And, you know, you think that's what the powers of darkness want to do. They want to come against your name. They want to try and tarnish your good name. And it's, it's, it's interesting when you read these stories and the demons stand up and they cry out, Jesus, son of the Holy One, and that sort of thing. Because you think, why would a demon want to do that? Um, is, you know, is he trying to cheer Jesus on? No, that's not what's happening here. The commenters suppose that what the demon is actually trying to achieve is calling out who Jesus is in an attempt to try and overpower him. Except the demon didn't know what he was up against. Which brings me to the third point, the opposite of evil which is what the story is presenting to us. And we get a clue very early on in this story about just who Jesus is. It says in verse 32, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. So you see, other religious Jewish teachers would, when they would preach at at the synagogue, they would be drawing from, not only from the scripture, but they would be drawing from other teachers, you know, to give them, give their words credibility. And even I do that, you know, like when I'm up here, obviously I'm drawing from the Bible, but I'm also drawing from John Adia and other sources because um, I don't want you to think that I'm just getting up here as a guru and saying this is how it is. You know, I want you to, to believe that there's truth to what I'm saying. But Jesus gets up and he can just talk. He doesn't need to draw from other teachers. He doesn't need to draw from other people. Why? Because he is God incarnate. And, and, and so that could have been incredibly um, offensive, you know, for people to sit there and think, well, what's this guy doing? You know, he's not getting up and he's not teaching from this rabbi and he's not pulling um, from this part of the Torah or whatever it might be. He's just getting up and speaking. And yet somehow they could tell in that moment that his words had 
authority. And then the man stands up and he cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You see, this man, whoever he was, had obviously been sitting among other religious, God-fearing people. Going along, there he is in the synagogue. But it took the presence of Jesus for the evil to become so threatened that it cries out. What we see in the story is the opposition of Jesus as the bearer of the Holy Spirit to all that was unholy. Jesus, in his perfect, faultless holiness, comes in and is the complete opposite to everything which is unholy. And do you know what? You know, one of the things which is so incredible about that is that those of us who are born again, who are followers of Jesus, we have that same spirit within us. And do you have that sense as you walk into a place that I actually carry within me the spirit which is the opposite to everything which is unholy? Do you have that sense? Is that how you see yourself? And I've heard of people who operate in the occult who actually admit that Christians don't recognize you know, the level. They, they, they say if Christians just recognized even half the level of spiritual power that they walk around with, and this is people... Um, from the, you know, who aren't even Christians themselves, they can acknowledge this, this level of spiritual power that Christians possess just simply by having the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Jesus responds by saying, be quiet, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them, and before them all and came out without injuring him. And verse 36, all the people were amazed. And what are they amazed about in this moment? Perhaps they're amazed about the fact that there is a demon manifesting and the fact that an exorcism is taking place. But I don't think so because these are people who lived in a society where belief in, in demons and belief in, in deliverance was commonplace. So why are they amazed? They're amazed because their understanding is that spiritual evil is something that you had to try your darndest to compete with it, but good luck. You know, First century Jews would try and use odors and different kinds of incantations if they thought that there was an evil spirit to be overcome with. And, and ultimately, they would, they would recognize that sometimes powers of spiritual evil just cannot be overcome, and so a person is just relegated um, to the hillside. But Jesus comes along, and he removes the demon with a single command. And that's why the people are amazed, because the authority of Jesus, uh, you know, as the Bible that I have, you know, the, the name of this passage is the authority of Jesus in word and deed. And he comes in and he speaks with authority, but then he comes and he acts in authority as well. And with a single command, he is able to remove the demon from the man. Jesus has divine authority over demons. He's not just yet another spiritual person. He is the maker of heavens and earth. So we, we, what we have presented so far to us is Secular society, as I was talking about earlier on, you know, our society where people just generally disbelieve in spiritual evil. But of course, that doesn't make the problem go away just because you don't choose to acknowledge it. And then we have religious societies where people believe in spiritual evil, but they see it as something, merely as something to be feared. But then when you encounter Jesus, he shows you firstly that spiritual evil is real and it's in your life. But more than that, he shows you that it can be overcome with a word. You see, the demon couldn't come against him by using his name, and nor can the powers of evil come against you and come against your name because the Bible tells us that the children of God have got their names written in the book of life. So 
I don't want us to leave, you know, with being you know, terrified about demons or anything like that. We need to be leaving with an incredible sense. We need to have the same sort of confidence and authority that Jesus had walking into this. Was Jesus scared in that moment at all? Not at all. With a command, he was able to overcome the powers of evil. And we have that same spirit living within us. These people are expecting a dramatic, violent display as the, as the demon's coming out of the person. But instead, the demon leaves with a shriek. And what's interesting to note at the end of the passage, passage is, is that it says, the man was left unharmed. And today, if we will come forward before God, he wants to deal with the, the, the powers of darkness at work in our lives. But not because he wants to embarrass us and not because he wants to damage us or to chastise us. And, and, and we can live in fear of that, but because he wants to deal with it, to heal us, and to leave us unharmed. So the question I want us to finish with is, where is there impurity in your life? And where does evil have influence? Before we finish, I want to do a little plug for Ash Wednesday. So Ash Wednesday is on the 2nd of March, and in the Christian calendar, that's the beginning of Lent, the 40 days of Lent. And Ash Wednesday is a time of repentance. And we're going to have a service here um, on the evening of Ash Wednesday. And I'd really like to encourage all of you to come along uh, on the evening of Wednesday the 2nd um, to the service because it's going to be a time for our church to repent, to repent collectively, um, but also to repent individually. And not to be like a, a, a scary thing, but to, to come forward recognizing that Jesus wants to deal with our sin so that he can make us free and leave us unharmed. So um, please join us um, for the service on Ash Wednesday. But would you be upstanding because we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer as we finish together. And the band will, will come up. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.